that. If you'd have year in, year out, back-to-back seasons, you sort of it's it's pretty hard to get off that off that merry-go-round. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice Podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it, or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. Before we get started, just to let you know, this episode is intended to be general information only as the host and the guests do not know your personal circumstances. So please go and talk to your own accountant or the team at Biofields to get the right information for your scenario. Let's get into this episode. Very good. Well, Scott Smith, thanks for coming into the Farms Advice studio, the virtual studio, but we've we both got studios over in WA and here in Dubbo. You're well, you're coming into my studio the very first time. Um, hopefully get something pretty established here at home so the sound quality can be improved. But welcome back. Thanks, Jack. Feel very privileged to be the first one in the in the new studio. It'd be good. I actually I'd be keen to invite a few people to for a few chats once it is actually up and running. And I've cleaned out the laundry on the way through to the room. Um, but no, that's all good. Scott, before we get into it, tell me what's the landscape, what's farming looking like over in WA at the moment? Yeah, so probably pretty mixed bag, really. Um, anyone who's in livestock, our sheep producers, obviously, they're, they're struggling a fair bit with a big big dramatic decrease in in sheep prices from last year um and yeah across the across the state very very different rainfall um in general um production will be lower from the last last couple of years um that northeastern wheat belt yeah really struggling with with growing season rainfall um their production is going to be going to be well well down and then there's still some pockets that have that have picked up some decent rain at some good times, um, that will yeah that will mean that their averages, um, or they're hitting average or or above or you know slightly above average. So yeah, it's going to be a really really mixed bag. The last couple of seasons we've probably been pretty lucky over over here where um, most people across the state have had you know probably above average production, um, but it's going to be a, a really really mixed bag. Uh, this year so yeah that's probably right across I did an episode last week I think um, it's probably the southern guys and girls down there are going to be doing the heavy lifting for our output especially for grain sector um, coming through and then everyone's sort of getting painted with the same stick within livestock aren't they yeah that's right that's right yeah Fairly concerning with the um with with livestock over here. Um, but look, I think there's there's always going to be a place for it, and yeah. So, mm. so what's the what do you want to speak about at the moment? What do you see being a pretty important topic to get out there? Yeah, probably at the moment, I guess, just given that it's going to be a fairly um wide variety in terms of production, but probably looking at the tax side of things what we're seeing or what we foresee is that even though production might be well down on last year, um, tax is still going to be an issue 
And the reason for that is really there's the end of temporary full expensing. Yep. So that was those depreciation measures that were brought in um, just, you know, in October 2020, sort of after or when COVID was in, um, which a lot of people have, well, most of our clients have had a pretty big cushion from tax because um, of those, or certainly our, our large cropping clients have had a big cushion from tax um, because of those write-off rules. Um, they came to an end at, at 30 June this year, so we're not going to have those write-offs again this year. So, yeah, depreciation deductions are probably going to be a lot lower. And also on, on the flip side of that, if, if there's any trades or sales of, of plant equipment, um, that's going to add to their income this year as well. So, and a lot of those, those will have sort of a nil value from a tax point of view. So could be a bit of a double whammy um, from a tax perspective for that, for the plant and equipment there. And also probably, you know, we've had some pretty good production years over here. So a lot of people have deferred a lot of grain either via cash contracts or deferred in, in pools. So we're sort of seeing, yeah, that a lot of grains probably been deferred into July 2023, sort of land in this financial year, um, really from that 2022 harvest. Yep. So even though sort of production this year might be well down, um, yeah, their their taxable income is still going to be quite high. So yeah, with the with those deferred contracts and the amounts in pools. So yeah, not sure if you use. Pools over there or pools are, are popular over in the eastern states there? Yeah, they are pretty popular. Um, there is a fair few like co-ops or like farmers within the region. They can hire out a silo that's not getting utilised by uh, the companies themselves. Um, and also, yeah, storage within the grain sites, receivable sites is pretty big, I suppose, for people if they think the price is going to rise or something. I actually can't remember what the grain prices were this time last year, but I'd imagine right now is a pretty good time um, to be selling off the back of what last year was, holding on to that. What's the advantages you see from the accountant's perspective of holding on to your grains rather like without looking at the cost increase or even decrease if you didn't time it too well and you need to get rid of it? What's advantages of holding that over into 23 sort of harvest season being old grain? Yeah, so I guess there was probably two sides of it. Like we saw probably a bit of a resurgence in the use of pools over here, um, probably the last couple of seasons where pools had sort of gone by the wayside when, you know, single desk was abolished, you know, more than 10 years ago. Hadn't really seen pools too much, but they really came back into vogue um, the last couple of seasons. One, from a tax point of view, sort of being able to defer that income. And two, um there was often a big difference between the estimated pool return and the cash price on the day. So um, yeah, it was purely from a, a profitability point of view that people were going to those pools and, and that was just due to, you know, a lot of things, but probably the, one of the main things was sort of shipping capacity out of WA. Um, but in terms of the, on the tax side of things, really trying to smooth those um, variations in income year in, year out. So we put a fair bit of time into making sure we're doing tax estimates and trying to take those big variabilities out, take out the big spikes. Um, so trying to smooth your income across multiple years 
means that you're going to pay less tax overall because your income's not getting pushed into a high tax bracket in in one year. Um, so that's where that's where it works, and and pools were probably one of the one of the tools that you could have used to to do that. So a bit like like you're trimming the fat sort of thing. You want to bring it back down under a sort of threshold within the year. You don't want to pull it all together. You want to make some sort of cash flow there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so sort of managing the cash flow as well. So you don't want to defer too much where you're starting to get up against. Um, you know, finance limits and things like that. So very conscious of of cash flow limits yeah. um, when we're when we're looking to defer grain. But um, yeah, just trying to trying to manage those seasonal fluctuations in in income so that we're just trying to yeah trying to flatten it out. We use a pretty good graph where we we drag up sort of the last five years of of income averaging because as you know, um, yeah, if you're a primary producer, you're averaged on or you're taxed on your last five years of of income if you're on the averaging system there. So if you've got a um yeah, if you've got a low year dropping off the end of your average averaging history getting replaced by a higher one, your tax rates are sort of on the up upward trend there. So yeah, we try and put a bit of science behind the the tax planning there. What about if you run into a few good years? I hope we do again. Um, and you defer selling your grain again or you don't so like you're stuck with two seasons worth of grain how mm. how do you sort of work with this when you i know you may be under time sensitivity or a bit of pressure um cash flow pressure there to work that the best otherwise you're gonna be left with a lump sum yeah so really probably a, a couple of things there um so we've probably had a couple of clients that were in that same boat where they just sort of got on a bit of a merry-go-round in terms of deferring of, of grain. And it is pretty hard to get off that. If you'd have year in, year out, back-to-back -back seasons, you sort of, it's it's pretty hard to get off that, off that merry-go-round. Um, probably the last couple of years, certainly over here where production's been really good, we've had those um, depreciation write-offs. So people have, have really made made use of good production years utilize the depreciation write-offs and it's probably taken a lot of pressure off having to defer so much grain. Yep. Had we not had those depreciation write-offs, yeah, there might've been a lot more grain deferred um, than what had happened already. Um, but then you start looking at other, what other tools you've got in your tool bolt belt there. So things like, you know, whether FMDs, so the farm management deposits, whether they come into play, um, I think they've got a place for growers that are in a, in a sort of a, a quite of um, variable production. Um, so probably more your marginal country. Um, that's where FMDs really come into their, into their, um, into their, into their best use. Um, where they don't really work is where you've got pretty solid, you know, rainfall and pretty solid production areas. Um, you know, the FMDs are easy to put in, but they're just hard to get out tax effectively when you just, yeah, constantly have those, those good levels of profit. So sort of really horses for courses there. Um, probably something we're seeing a little bit more of that we'll, we'll probably continue to see is, is the use of, of companies. Yeah. So yeah, either allocating to a company from a trust or for those really high profitable businesses that, yeah, are sort of constantly making those high profits. Yeah. Whether you go to a, a trading company there. What's the... So, 
what would be the pivotal point in that to like, would you need a couple of run on years to get that sort of clarity in thinking we need to go into a company sort of structure? Yeah. Yeah. I think probably the first step would be starting to potentially starting to allocate some profit through to a company. Um, and then with a view to longer term, maybe moving into that, into that company as your trading company. Um, if the, if the, you know, subsequent seasons and, and production and profitability is, is maintained there. So it's certainly not, certainly something we don't go in into lightly. Um, and it's, it's not going to be suitable for every single client there. Um, but for, yeah, for those high profitable clients that, yeah, just have that constant, constant, um, high profit results. Um, yeah, it can be quite effective. It's a good one. I don't, I'm not sure if you touched on it, but superannuation, when you're having a good year, this is like, I like um, the thought of a bit of a backup for when you're older and also building that nest egg. Um, and also you can probably leverage off it in some ways or another, but how, how does that work in after we've had a good few years? Like we've had a good role on all these episodes and I was speaking about um, in our previous episode as well, Scott, about, how well we are going and that time is the perfect time to look for opportunities during these dry times. And now we're here. I, I hope a few listeners have sort of listened in, taken a few things away and actually tried to start their estate planning, their succession, or look to put away a few dollars into superannuation, um, all under good guidance, of course, but how does super roll into this? Yeah, so we see super as a pretty effective tool from two points of view. One, it's quite tax effective. Obviously, you can put some money into super, claim a tax deduction at the at the farm level um, and only get taxed at 15% on the way into the fund. So you can save some tax on the way in. Um, and also the other the other benefit that we see with super is is building up that that off farm asset really so you know for your longer term succession planning really um, and retirement planning um, yeah we see that it's quite useful um, it's obviously really important to make sure that you're a, whatever you're invested in in that super fund is is appropriate because um, you've got to make sure that yeah the um, you know, based on your retirement timeline and, and your risk profile, really. So, yeah, you really need the help of a, a financial planner to, to make those or to make sure you're invested in the right things. But certainly from a tax and um, and succession planning point of view, yeah, it works, works really well. What are families doing over there? Are they expanding or are they sort of consolidating at the moment? Um, because like these sort of pressures on new and older farmers um, could send them out of business and then that land's got to go somewhere. Yeah, so there's still plenty of demand for farmland over here. Um, yeah, prices haven't really slowed down. A few people were saying that, you know, prices might sort of plateau for a while because there's been some pretty dramatic um, increases in in farmland prices over here. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if they start plateauing. Um, from a, a succession and retirement point of view, a lot of our clients are, at one point they might have sold the farm um, and then, you know, look to make other off-farm investments, but now they're sort of keeping the farmland as part of their retirement. So they might be looking to move it to a super fund or, 
um, you know, just retaining it and living off the lease proceeds. Um, it's an asset they understand. It's performed well from a capital growth point of view and it's giving them that that revenue return. So um, it's sort of ticking all the boxes. So, yeah, probably seeing them retain the farmland. Um, yeah, in, in terms of their retirement, not really seeing it sold in, in too many occasions there. Yeah, because the value is always going to be carried through. Once you've got the farmland in your super, how does that sort of operate? Um, does it operate just as like cash assets? Yeah, so really, if if the farmland goes into your into your super fund, um, you really need to if you're using it in your farm business. First of all, you need to pay a market value rent, so you need to pay a market value lease to the super fund, and that's whether you've got had a poor year or a, or an absolute bumper year. So that lease is is payable to the super fund every year. Um, probably the other. Um, so it's a way to be it really, it's a quite effective way to be able to boost up your, um, your super fund. Cause you can do your contributions each year, but you can also do a, a market value lease to the super fund each year as well. So you're sort of claiming a deduction at the farm level at say 30% and that lease is getting taxed in the super fund at, at 15%. So you sort of, yeah, you can have a net sort of 15% tax saving in that scenario. Um, one of the things to keep in mind, if you did move some land or bought some land in, in super is you can't use it as security for bank borrowings. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you sort of lose the ability to, um, to mortgage over that. And so it can potentially reduce your borrowing capacity. If you are trying to buy more land and expand the farm, um, yeah, it might not be the best option. Yeah. I, th I would have thought that you could leverage off it, but obviously not. Um, what's. What's the go with, is it locked up until you're 65 or until they stop the retirement age going up? Or? Yeah, that's the other thing with, with having it in the super fund is it's, it's fairly restrictive. Um, obviously you could, you could sell it if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, in terms of accessing those funds, you're not going to be able to access them until you're, until you're at retirement age. So um, that's probably another downside to, to, you know, having that balance between you don't want to put too much into super at a young age because it's just locking that, locking those funds away um, for a very long period of time. Um, that's where you sort of, yeah, make sure you have a balance between not wanting to put too much into super, but um, yeah, wanting to save some, save some tax as well. So yeah, sort of depends what your goals are, what your age is. And a farmer's putting in like parts of their land partial you can do that or just yeah yeah so we had a client that we did recently that um yeah they had some pretty pretty significant growth in their farm values um and you're sort of getting restricted to how much you can put into super yep. now so it's or you've always been restricted but it's just getting harder to get get funds into super so we ended up actually transferring uh 20 of one of their blocks into the super fund so we couldn't get the whole title in there because it was it was it was too much. We couldn't get the contributions and that in there on the super fund side of things. Um, so that's one side, and the other side is probably the capital gains tax because whenever you move that land, um, if you're moving it into super, yeah, you're going to trigger some some capital gains tax on that land if it was a, you know, post September 1985 farm there. Um, so yeah, there's. The transaction. What was that? Sorry. 
that because the farmland going into supers counted as a transaction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it triggers a capital gains tax event whenever you transfer that. So yeah, we would only, or we, we've only done it where we've been able to access those um the capital gains tax exemptions there. Yep. So what are the capital gain tax exemptions uh, available at the moment? Yeah. So really there's some, when we're talking about those ones that we're talking about the small business capital gains tax exemptions. So there's a couple of gateway tests. Um, one is a, is a $2 million turnover test. So that's if your farm income is less than $2 million. Um, and the other is sort of a net asset test of under $6 million. So we're finding these harder and harder to, to access really. Um, and that's probably from a, a couple of reasons. Um, one, you know, as farm businesses have gotten bigger and bigger, that turnover has increased significantly where probably, you know, 10 years ago, we might've had 80% of our clients might've qualified. Now it's probably the reverse. Now it's probably, you know, 20% of our clients might, might qualify for those exemptions there. Um, and particularly with the with the rapid growth of farmland too, there's not too many farms that are going to be under under net assets of six million dollars anymore. Yeah, no, six million dollars doesn't account for much these days, does it? No, no. So it's it's sort of worthwhile if if we can get those exemptions. Um, it's almost like winning the lotto sometimes because you know you can potentially save millions of, of dollars in, in capital gains tax sometimes if yeah if we're wanting to either either sell the farm or or move some land into a into a super fund or or transfer the land from a succession point of view. Um because there's still a lot of land that's owned in sort of mum and dad's personal names. That yeah trying to get that to the next generation um either in yeah usually into a into a land holding trust that's controlled by the next generation there. Um yeah, it's it's pretty handy to be able to access those concessions, but they're getting harder and harder to access just because of that increase in land values and the um and the expansion of farm businesses over time. These concessions, how like do they just be picked up naturally, um, automatically when you submit your BAS and then end of year tax return and tax planning, um, on the ATO? How does that work, or do we need to work with our accountants, um, be in their ear a bit more? Yeah, you really need to work with your accountant on this one because it's a it's a really like I've those two tests are really sort of your gateway tests, and then there's a lot of rules after that, so that it's quite a complex area, and not every single scenario will will qualify. So, given the potential tax savings as well, um, you've really got to dot your eyes and and cross the t's with this one. So, yeah, it's something that you've you've got to talk to your accountant about and. Um, and get them to do some specific advice on that, because um, it is quite a, it's quite a niche or, or it's it's quite a technical area of tax, as well. So you've got to make sure you do it right. And the thing with those concessions is it's a cliff face. So you're either in or you're out. So it might be a it might be a million dollar tax saving or it might be a zero. You know you might be full full tax. So um, yeah, it, it's really important to get that to get that right. Um, but having said that, you know, if, if you can get those concessions, it can really open the door to, to doing, um, doing succession planning and, and potentially, you know, structuring your assets, uh, a bit more tax effectively there. 
Um, so we're sort of seeing that, you know, even though production might be down this year, it might be an opportunity to actually try and access some of these concessions and, you know, where your succession has actually might, it might have stalled because, um, you know, you're looking at a big capital gains tax bill. This might be an opportunity if, you, if your farm income has sort of dipped under that $2 million. Obviously, yeah, not everyone's going to be in that boat, but there might be some some people in that boat where, yeah, their income's dipped under. It might be a, a sort of once-off opportunity um, to get the succession plan sort of moving or, or yeah, pulling the trigger on it. So There's a lot of things that come into play, isn't there, and especially how this all sort of files into succession planning and looking at structures and the past conversations we've had on Beyond the Tax Return series. Um, it sounds really simple when you hear about it and then going away and actually putting pen to paper with your accountant and running through the right scenario for you and what what works, what doesn't, and what's applicable at the time with the ATO, the government, what they're doing on their end or, or even whatever they want sort of thing, working with them and trying to get the most out of your farm business. Um, from the accountant's perspective, is it getting a lot more difficult um, to find these, not loopholes, but the strategies to maximise our gains? Yeah, well, it's certainly been harder to access these these concessions. And probably what we're seeing is it's it's almost stalling some succession plans, really. Yeah. So like getting these particular capital gains tax, um, like in WA, obviously the other thing to consider is stamp duty. So that's sort of your two main costs whenever you're moving farmland is your capital gains tax and your, and your stamp duty. So in WA, like our stamp duty exemption rules for, for family farm transfers are, are pretty generous, really. Like we can generally access access them. So we're usually not restricted on that side of things. Um, obviously, we still need to dot our I's and cross our T's with that one as well. But um, generally, it's it's probably harder in general to access the capital gains tax exemptions than the the stamp duty exemptions there. So, so going into the end of the year, tax planning, uh, we should always sort of look at what we're doing as producers. What's your take home message from this episode to for farmers to go away, get back into the office? Um, harvest is actually just around the corner. There may have been one or two even started um, further north in Queensland. Um, I don't know about WA, but what's your message for everyone listening in? Yeah, probably having an idea of where you sit um, from a, a tax profit position. Um, so that, like I said before, it's going to be a really mixed bag production-wise, but it's it's also going to be a really mixed bag um, from a tax pers perspective too. So you know, for a lot of our clients, we do um, pre-harvest tax estimates. So when they're sort of, when they first get the header in the in the paddock there and they know, or they've got a good idea what yields are, yields are turning up, we can, um, we can, we can run some numbers, sort of see how it's stacking up. And that gives them a bit of an idea grain marketing wise. So that's going to be important for you, for the, yeah, for a lot of, a lot of our clients that are, um, you know, having a, having a half decent year with a significant amount of grain deferred from, from that 2022 harvest. Um, yeah. It gives them a really good direction. Um, Can you start to plan for that? 
to know what your yield is. Like going off by the eye as well, but on paper, when should you be have that like in your office ready to go? Yeah, so you can you can do it as early as you want, really, but probably we find um you know you've got a lot more accurate data in terms of yield when you actually get the header in the paddock. Yeah, um, bef before that, you yeah, before that you um You've got a bit of an idea, so you know, but yeah, it's it's until you get the lie detector in the paddock there, you um yeah, you don't you don't really know exactly how it's all tracking. So um yeah, that sort of we we probably hold off until that point. Yeah, and then we can yeah, do a bit more of a reliable estimate in terms of um income and yeah, sort of seeing how everything's everything's tracking there. Um and probably on the flip side of that is yeah, if you are having a a lower year, a lower income year, um, it's always a good opportunity to potentially unwind some of those, you know, tax deferral measures that you've you've put in place in previous years. So, you know, things like squaring up your FMDs or, you know, pulling them out, um, you know, potentially drawing out some profits from those corporate beneficiary companies that you might have used to to put some profit into. Um you know, getting off the grain sort of deferral merry-go-round. Um, and probably one that, yeah, gets overlooked a little bit as well is is probably family tax benefits. So, yeah, if you've got a, if you've got a couple of kids and, um, and yeah, you've had a bit of a crook year on the farm, it might be a chance to actually access some of those, those family tax benefits there. So, um, yeah, that can be, um, yeah, quite valuable. Well um, yeah, and probably the big one, what we talked about before, is just yeah, just those capital gains exemptions. Yep. Yeah, if you if your turnover does dip below two million, then that might be a might be a chance. Um, might give you a bit of a window, which you've you've got a window in the current year and also the year following that year that your turnover dips under two mil. So you've got sort of a two two year window to potentially access those um access those concessions there. Yeah, so there's a bit to take away there. And imagine if you've got pen and paper, the notepads pull up to the brim at the moment. For the rest of 2023, what are you most excited about, Scott, for your clients? What are you optimistic about? Um, I just, yeah, I, I really enjoy seeing what um what sort of tech they're getting involved in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, had a had a client the other day that's um yeah just bought one of those sort of green on green uh spraying add-ons for their their boom spray, which yeah the tech on that is is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, so stuff like your your swarm bots, like your robotic sprayers. Um, so yeah, just um just stuff like that. Yeah, that that gets me um pretty excited. Um, yeah, just just seeing how yeah clients have um. Yeah, had a good year. Um, some of them obviously, yeah, that, that's not going to be across the board, but um, there's still plenty of positivity out there in ag um, and, yeah, plenty to be excited about. I think this, like, well, the end of this year anyway is about finding those one percenters that don't cost you an arm and a leg. And I imagine people have got them pretty well established with their infrastructure off the back of spending what they earn um, in 2020, 21 anyway for that so going into 
bit of a drier time. Hopefully you're a lot more established yourself and actually with a bit better mindset going into this, um, going into these times. Um, but Scott, thanks for coming on to Beyond the Tax Return for another episode. I think this is your third in the hot seat now. Yeah, it is. I'm uh, chalking him up, Jack. Yeah, we'll have to see how that um how the tally's going for the most listeners in there. I think Jack Hayes was holding it before, so we might have to see if we can knock him off. Yeah, got to get him off his pedestal. That's it. So, who can we expect to hear on Byfields next before end of the year runs out? Yeah, so I reckon next is going to be Jared Ryan, who's a manager in in our agribusiness team in our Perth office here. So, yeah. He'll be on uh, on next. Beautiful. It'll be good to have him on. And how else can we get in touch with you? Do you have a direct line there, Scott? Or is it best to go to the website? Yeah, probably go to the website and then yeah, just call it call the uh, Perth office if you want to get in touch with me. So yep. yeah, more than happy to take anyone's calls or yeah, or inquiries there. Beautiful. I might even have a look at your resources on your website um and add a few into the show notes there. I think it's always good to um farmers they could be pretty lazy but laziness makes us a bit more creative as well so i think it's a good thing scott thanks for coming on to farms advice podcast thanks for having us jack this farms advice episode does not stop here come and join the conversation on facebook twitter instagram or tiktok and even join our facebook group go to farmsadvice.com.au for more on this episode and spread the hashtag farms advice to your mates If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that will let other farmers find us too. But until then, see you next Tuesday.